Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and I'm back, and I am on the line here with the one and only Brent Kremen. This is the criminal. I love it, man. That's a great name. Yeah, I was given that in, in, in uh, probably elementary school. Were you a, a troubled child? In- I got good grades. I actually liked school, um, but I was a horrible athlete, and I had trouble bonding with the boys, uh, the um Girls, like in kindergarten, they tended to like me because I was considered to be sweet. But um, but I couldn't bond with the boys, and so I had to be a clown in order to get them to laugh, and that worked. After that, I was such a class clown that that I think the girls didn't like me because I was considered too much of a clown, and you know they couldn't take me seriously, and I was immature. So I got a uh, reputation for being very immature for my age. But the guys, I, I'd make laugh until they were crying. Thus, I was the criminal. Has that continued? No, no. I mean, somebody wrote in my high school yearbook, uh, senior year, uh, Mercer Island High School, which was a great school. Um, Barack Obama's mother went there. Uh, the um, uh, he wrote, uh, "Hey, have a you know, have a great years in college, but you might need to curb the pranks. The stuff that you do in high school will get you thrown out of college." So you went to college? Yes, I wasn't a very good student. I went to four different schools. It took me four years to get a two-year degree, and then after I completed that, I transferred to a four-year school, the University of Washington, took me an additional three years to complete two. So that would be a total of seven years of college to complete four. And I got about a 2.5 GPA. Why the well, change? You, you don't have structure in college. You're left to your own devices. The work was more difficult. I had more issues with stamina. And my stamina has gotten worse as I've gotten older, just mental stamina. I remember in college, uh, sitting through a two-hour class was difficult for me. Even though I really enjoyed the lecture material, that was difficult for me to maintain focus. Now I enjoy going to Torah study, and I'm still, even though I enjoy it, and I participate a lot, and I'm considered a leader in there, I'm constantly staring at the clock, when's it over, when's it over, when's it over? And this is something that I like. I choose to get up on Saturday morning to go to tour study, but I'm exhausted after an hour. I didn't have these issues when I was a kid. These issues happened when I became older. In high school, I did fine. My, my, I could maintain focus. I had stamina. In college, things were worse. After college, the wheels have coming off. Well, it looks like that you need a career in show business. Yeah, I've done open mic night on comedy. All I do is I just tell the truth about my life. If people laugh, great. If they cry, fine. I really don't care as long as I get a reaction. Or even if I don't get a reaction, I just do it for therapeutic reasons. And the last line of my stand-up routine is, I'm Brent Kremen, and I'm not kidding. Because I don't have... I don't, I don't go and tell the truth, the truth, the truth, and then the punchline's a lie. No, I just go and tell the truth all the way through. And so what is yeah. it that you talk about in your act? It's not like really you... an act. I just talk about things that are going on in my life. Like imagine imagine the stuff that I tell Brian and Vinny, whether it's in private and they ended up putting it on the air or whether it is actually on the show. 
you, I would just go and talk about the things that, like I mentioned on the show. Talk about where you get your fame from, because when I mentioned that you were on the show on the board, I got a lot of listeners. You have a lot of fans from the board. When Brian and Vinny post stuff from the Christmas show uh, that that, that, that features just me, uh, there were 20,000 views for that. You get ratings. I mean, that's that's no question. I think your dynamic with Brian is good. I've known Brian since he was just finishing the Youth Wrestling Federation. No, I actually would watch the Youth Wrestling Federation on public access television where he and his buddies would wrestle in the gym when they were 15, 16 years old. I would watch this when I was in college. And uh, as I'm a bit older than him. Uh, and so uh, he calls me young Brent Kremen when I'm actually older than him. Uh, and so I would watch that on TV. Uh, and then I would go to a show at an old decrepit arena, which they later tore down, the um, the uh, old uh, Seattle Center Arena, Mercer Arena. And they would have wrestling shows there dating back to the Don Owen days. And so there, there was a wrestling show there. And I think a guy named Dan Adam was passing out flyers about a local wrestling hotline. And his uncle, Uncle Wayne, Crazy Wayne, would make jokes about the Yeti and talk about the, you know, the Yeti hotline. You know, just, just real toilet humor, just immature stuff. And, but I, but, but, we, but you know, he would joke about the Yeti on there. And his hotline is basically garbage. But I enjoyed listening to it. It was funny. And then later... I, I, I saw the figure four about issue number 12. And Craig Proper was just a guy that wrote a letter. That's how it started. And I actually had a column in some early figure fours. And I actually saved the figure fours and gave them to Brian. Otherwise, he would not have them. So I'm a subscriber back, like issue number 12. And he used to live with his parents, didn't have a car. And so I'm so proud that one year, this would have been about five years ago, or maybe ten, no, it's probably ten years ago now, shortly after he met Whitney, where he has this beautiful home that's like a mansion in Bothell, Washington, and I call it the Palatial Alvarez Estate. And I gave him a double high five, nearly knocking him over, because he has, he had, at the time, he had a wonderful, beautiful, kind wife. I was at the wedding, and he has a beautiful home. And I know where he started, and so I'm so proud of him. You're thinking that he doesn't like you, but I, I think he does. Um, Vinny doesn't but, like me, no. Brian likes me. Vinny does not like me. Do you really think Vinny doesn't like you? Or you make he him said feel a number of times he hates me. Oh, well, Vinny hate is not very strong hate. It's more He's not like very he friendly to me, that's for sure. And he did get very really angry at me when I simply said hello to his wife. Wow. And I was invited to Brian's wedding, wedding and specifically banned from Vinny's wedding, so that should tell you something. Well, that's, <laughs> but you still hang out with him now and then. I only hang out with Vinny when Brian is there. Right, of course. You're not going to hang out with him alone. I have no problems with him. I'd hang out with Vinny, but he wouldn't. Let me ask you, though, with uh, regard to Vinny, is it because he has just been particularly witnessing of the more crazy moments of your life? Do you tend to act think, crazy around Brian? I think Brian? he does not find my hijinks as amusing as Brian. I think he finds them more annoying. It's like Larry David. Some people find him annoying. Some people find him hilarious. Some people find him cringeworthy. And if you're right. Larry David, after 30 years, you've had enough. 
and you say, Larry, the kids are out of the house. I'm done. I can't take it anymore. Goodbye. Give me my $400 million, and I never want to speak to you again. But does Brian bring out a part of a thing in you that make you a little crazy, or is it is that just how you are? You're not to put this in the show, okay? But 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 uh, Brian kind of hit the nail on the head, where he says, "Yes, Brent is not a gimmick, but he sort of turns it up. He plays it up for for for, for laughs. Yeah. So what happens? You're not to put this on the air because I don't want to blow my cover. But yes, I do play it up on purpose. I know you do. No, but my question, and of course, that's like, I think that's what it is, is that Brian, you know that Brian somewhat enjoys it. At least I know he gets uncomfortable from it too, but but he he likes to be uncomfortable, I think, on a certain level. He likes the unpredictability of it, whereas Vinny is, I don't know, Vinny just can't take it. He just doesn't want to deal with it. But that's fine. I mean, uh, this part of this show I'll cut out. So let's Uh, All right. I want. I wanted to, to say that, on a personal note, one thing that I found puzzling is when I showed up at Super China Buffet Day, where it was a fast day, so I couldn't eat. Uh, I didn't have any money to, to pay for anything anyway, and I simply went there for the company. And then they then they went and watched SummerSlam. Not at a big party, because Brian is not doing that this year. But basically, a few of them watched SummerSlam together and did a show together. I could have gone on that show. I could have gotten paid for it. But I wasn't invited. I asked. I wasn't invited. And then Brian was making jokes about why I was hanging around the table. I was just simply gathering my newspapers and taking the bus home. And I was feeling a little sad that I couldn't watch the show with them and do the, and do the, do the uh, show afterwards. But... What Brian said on that post Super China Buffet, post SummerSlam show was if I'm on a one on a scale of one to ten, don't show up at all. Well, and he said I was a one when Lance was there. Because I had you know, a few years ago, because I got the message that I better not cause a scene at Brian's house. I better not do anything to annoy Whitney or to annoy anyone. And so I did sit there quietly. And I knew that Lance was right over there, and Lance would, you know, could beat me up. And so, yeah, I purposely was real, real Lance quiet. Beat you up? <laughs> Good, but uh, you know, if he wanted. So, um, you know, I, I um, was real quiet. And the thing is that if I follow Brian's wishes that he said on the air of showing up at Super China Buffet Day and being a one, people are like, "What's up with Brent? What's wrong with him?" There's no show. Me at a one, there's no show, there's no amusement, there's no guest appearances. Me at a one is not funny. <laughs> so why would Brian want me to be at a one? Because there would be no Brent stories at a one. That's what I don't well, understand. Yeah, it's a diff- it's a conundrum because you don't want to be constantly, you know, you don't want to be constantly on because then you become like Jim Carrey. Right. I mean, you don't want to be Jim Carrey. Yeah, I, I can't be at a 10 because because Bro- Vinny said he threw me out of a car when I was at a 10. But I was pro- but they said that I was probably like an 8 or a 9 at that dinner. I would say I was more like a 7 or an 8. Tell me what you did at this dinner that made you a 7 or an 8 because I'm not really understanding you. Oh, just, just constantly making jokes, telling stories because basically I was surrounded by delicious food. 
I hadn't eaten anything all day, and it was a fast day, the day that the temple was destroyed. Both temples were destroyed that day, so it's a very serious, solemn fast day. And so I'm staring at delicious food that I cannot eat. And so I had to tell stories to people to distract myself from the food. And so I was just constantly making jokes and telling stories the entire time. So you were in major 10 because you were hungry. Well, I was probably like a 7 or 8. Yeah, I was hungry. I was staring at delicious food that I could not eat and watching everyone else eat. That must have made you super hyper and super weird. Oh, yeah. And, And so you were in people's face, probably. No, I was just simply sitting at the table telling stories and making jokes. You know, everybody else was sitting at the table eating, and I was sitting there eating nothing, uh, drinking water, which I wasn't even supposed to do, but I was drinking water, I don't care, and, uh, you know, and telling jokes and making stories. Was anyone telling you to shut up? Oh, yes. Vinny, constantly. (laughs) I think he doesn't get you, but it shouldn't matter to you. Does it matter to you? I'd like to be Vinny's friend. I would have liked to go to the wedding. I would have preferred not to be banned. You would have had to live your life as a one, right? I mean, if for that to have happened. Yeah, if I lived my life, if I was around them as a one, I would not be a character, I would not be on the show, and I would not be their friend. Right. You wouldn't even be talking right now. No, so, I wouldn't. Why would Brian would... tell me, if you're not going to be a one, don't show up at all next year? So basically he's saying our friendship is over. Who said that? Brian, when he was on the show... The post-SummerSlam show, where they open the post-SummerSlam show talking about me for 10 minutes, which is what they always do. When there's a Super China buffet, they always talk about me for the first 10 minutes. Even Brian's, Brian's bachelor party show, they, spent, they didn't talk about the bachelor party. They spent a whole hour talking about me, which made me feel happy. So anyway, um, <laughs> any, anyway. Um, you love it. So, so every, the first 10 minutes. Every year of the SummerSlam show is, well, we can talk about this and SummerSlam and this and that, but let's talk about Brent. So that's always the opening of the show is talking about Brent. Only Brian finishes it by saying, okay, Brent, if you're listening to this, if you're not a one next year, don't bother to show up. But the thing is, if I show up and I'm a one, there's nothing to talk about. Or if I yeah, show I up know, and I'm but... a one, I'm not going to be his friend anymore because I'd be boring. Well, he's but he has to play the baby face, and you have to play the heel, right? I mean, so that's what he's doing. I, so that's that's how I interpret it. Like, I hope he's for, not serious with that comment, as if he thinks about it, it doesn't make any sense. No, but for Vinny, it's a shoot. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, are you back into wrestling now with AEW and all that? I've watched some of it. Tony Schiavone's about. 10, 15 year break from wrestling. He wouldn't talk about wrestling. He wanted nothing to do with wrestling. And then about two years ago or less, he started talking about wrestling again. And he started doing a show, You Remember When, where he's talking about his old WCW and Jim Crockett promotions days. And yes, he still is the announcer for the Atlanta Braves AAA baseball team. He still does morning news in Atlanta. He still does morning news in another city at the same time, and he still does the Georgia Bulldogs postgame show. And he still does, I think, the Georgia Bulldogs pregame show for football. And so he's a very busy man. How he manages time to do AEW, is that is that on live every week? How he manages to do that, I have no idea. But... But his break from wrestling has been good for him because he said he was flat-out burned out at the end of WCW. He didn't like his job very much. And so his break has helped him. And obviously Jim Ross is a good announcer, although I believe if Jan Ross was 
was still alive, Jim would not be announcing. Jan Ross's tragic death totally right. changed his life, and it made being home unappealing for him. And so he yeah. would not be an announcer right now if his wife was alive. I think he's the biggest get that the AEW has right now. Oh, I agree. If Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone were not there, I would have a lot less interest in it. Because I can't help myself. I haven't followed wrestling closely enough where I don't know who any of these guys are. And so, therefore, the announcers are the draw. And also, you get that feel of the old-time 90s wrestling. Before that, Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone were announcing partners on uh, old World Championship Wrestling on TBS. David Crockett took himself off the show as he knew he was a terrible announcer, and Ross and Shivani did that together. And then they had Ross and Shivani did some of the pay-per-views together, and then they yeah. sat down with Jim Hurd, and they say, okay, you two. Uh, I know, Jim, we promised that you'd be the primary announcer, and we promised Tony you'd be the primary announcer. And so they, you know, Tony did a show where they asked him about this recently. He says, yeah, I had no problem with that. Jim would get to be the TV, to do the TBS show, and I would get to do all the syndication. They split us up, and uh, we were both the primary announcer. And then I got an offer from Vince McMahon that I couldn't refuse, and then after, because it was so much money, and then after a year, uh, Vince didn't like me, and he says, we don't want you anymore, and so he went home. And he's, Vince McMahon did not like Tony Schiavone. He felt that he was too Southern. I don't know if he didn't. I think he sure liked him personally, but he didn't like his announcing. And so Vince basically was unhappy with him, and Tony got an offer to go back to WCW for a lot of money. But when he went back to WCW, the problem was that it was so poorly run that he was miserable. And he stayed there until the day that it closed. And so when they had that boom period, he was happy. But when things started going downhill and he stuck there until the last day and everybody said he was a horrible announcer, he says, I was a horrible announcer. I was completely burned out. I was miserable. I hated the product. Yeah, and it's interesting because at that very time, Ross was at the peak of his game. Correct. Well, those two voices were the voices of our you know, late teens. Um, yeah, and so my fondest memories of Ross and Shivani is when they would announce together on the TBS show. They were great together. They were one of the best duos out there, for sure. I agree. And when and you threw Gordon together. Soley in there, that was such a great announcing crew. And you had Bob Cottle, who was the old Mid-Atlantic announcer. And then, then right. you even had Lance Russell. That was the best announcing right. crew ever. You Time. had Gordon Soley. You had Bob Cottle. You had Lance Russell, Jim Ross, and Tony Schiavone. So it's yeah, never going like, to be anything oh, like that again ever, nor was there. The, the WWF just had Gene Okerlund. That's about it. And uh, Lord Alfred Hayes. But <laughs> I liked you uh, you Meltzer did not did not like the job that Gorilla Monsoon did. He felt that he was a horrible announcer. But I think Gorilla was a very good announcer. I loved watching oh. Gorilla. Gorilla was great. What why would he say yeah. he was bad? Meltzer didn't didn't feel that he was a very good announcer in terms of calling the matches, but I thought he was great. Why well, wouldn't I mean, he be good at calling the matches? He was a wrestler himself. Yeah, he would talk about the muscle group. I thought he was I, great I think I read some stuff that he made some of that up and it wasn't true, but then it might be true. I don't know. Who I just cares? know I found him entertaining. He was, of course, great with Bobby Heenan. He was great with Jim Ross. I loved the Jim Ross-Gorilla uh, Monsoon pairing. That was one of my favorites. Who could Heenan. you think of Monsoon with anyone? He was great. Did Heenan ever mix it up with Ross? I used to watch WWF Challenge, which was the B-show, just to be 
uh, Ross and Monsoon together. And Ross had said when I got there, I wasn't accepted. I was considered a WCW guy. They were really, really mean to me. I was hazed. And, and he says, Monsoon walks in and he says, guys, knock it off. He's one of us. He's a professional. Now stop this crap and I don't ever want to see it again. <laughs> and so Gorilla Monsoon stuck up for him and he loved Gorilla. That's great. That's a great yeah. story. Yeah. So what do you know about in terms of Gorilla just behind the scenes? Was he always like just the locker room leader? Everybody loved him. Nobody said anything bad about him. You know, he would go and, and he would book the house shows. He would, uh, you know, by, by taking off his glasses, you know, he was almost blind. By taking off his glasses, that's how he announced that I want you to go to the finish. I heard the story uh, on a shoot interview with Bruno Sammartino. Vince Sr. called in Bruno Sammartino, and he says, Bruno, I want to sell you. Tutsmont is dead, I want to sell you. or he's an alcoholic, or he's on his way out. Uh, shortly to be dead. I, or, or, I, don't, I don't think Ben Senior said he's shortly to be dead, but he says, you know, I need I need to sell fifty percent of the promotion. Bruno, do you want it? Bruno says, no, I don't want fifty percent of the promotion. And so he sold twenty percent to Gorilla Monsoon. Phil Zacco, Willie Gilmsenberg were the minority owners, and so what happened is Monsoon owned twenty percent of the promotion. When Vincent Kennedy McMahon bought all the partners, he promised Gorilla. I think 5% of the gate at every house show. So Gorilla got quite rich after that. On that that, deal. Wow. Yes, he got 5% of the gross of every house show that they had. And they were having three house shows a night. So Gorilla got to be very wealthy. That's great. That's what he got in order to give up his share. That's that's some cold, hard cash right there because they were booming. I always thought he was not very impressive. As a wrestler, but no, he was a big, he was a big lumbering guy. You know, Meltzer said that he saw him in person in a match in the main event, and he said that he was terrible. He he never got in the Observer Hall of Fame, and Meltzer was an advocate of him not getting in the Observer Hall of Fame. I completely disagree with that, but the voters of the Observer Hall of Fame never put Gorilla in, not as a wrestler, not as an announcer, and not as a backstage person. Do you think the the Hall of Fame rules are too strict? I think that overall the Observer Hall of Fame is is uh, is the most fair and at least political. Well, for whatever reason, the voters say no, and uh, Meltzer does not vote and he does not have a voice. But you know, when he advocates that for, when he advocates for somebody not being in there, that does carry some weight. Is Junkyard Dog in there? Yeah, Order. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he is because he was a huge star in New Orleans. He basically, you know, they did Saint, the New Orleans Saints, they say, who dat, who dat, who dat going to beat that dog? Well, that came, I mean, who dat going to beat them Saints? It was originally who dat going to beat that dog? Because he used to sell out the New Orleans Superdome. Wow, yeah, I had so no da, idea. Yeah, he's definitely in there because he was a huge star in, in New Orleans. He was a huge star for Mid-South, Bill Watts. Yeah, and like Jerry Lawler's in there. The, the, the number one stars from the territories are all in there. Junkyard Dog was the number one star from Watts' territory. It took Sting to come to the WWE to get in there, though. I was against him going to the WWE, as I knew that they were just going to use it to job him. I don't understand what the point of him going in there and getting jobbed to Triple H was. He should have never gone, and I thought that from the beginning. Hey, get the payday. 
You would have taken it. Yeah, I suppose it's just about the pay. He, he doesn't care if he just goes there and does jobs. I guess it was just about the money for him. When you have the face paint, you can go a lot longer than than other wrestlers. True. And he, and he never had that big match with The Undertaker. No. Paul Levesque just wanted to beat up Sting. Why he felt the need to do that, I don't know. They don't call the game for nothing. What is the ultimate political move? Boss's wife. Ultimate game. So, yeah, he's all game. And he's going to be the one that's going to take over everything. I would not count out Stephanie, and I would not count out Shane coming back either. Because when Shane sold all that stock, and then he had some of his own companies, the reason why Shane quit as an executive was he was trying to save the relationship with his father, as he and his father had business differences, and uh, and he didn't want it to hurt their personal relationship. So that's why he quit. But if his father's dead, there's no reason he won't come back. But does he have even ownership stake in it at this point? Yeah, he has some stock, but he doesn't have much. Yeah, nothing controlling. But what's going to happen with Vince's stock? He'll probably leave half for Shane and half for Stephanie. If Linda's still alive, she'll get all of it. And then when Linda's dead, uh, when Linda's dead, she'll give it to the children. Yeah, but who's going to run day-to-day the way Vince does? Well, I believe that Shane, Marissa, and everybody forgets about Marissa, Stephanie and Paul will run it. Already one of Paul and Stephanie's daughters is 14, and she's already training to be a wrestler. You know what will happen when the minute that Vince stops controlling WWE is there going to be a lot of his stupid ideas are going to go away. And well, I that's think true. His, all this, uh, all this, you know, the, the, this humor where Vince was an announcer, he'd say, ha, 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 all that stuff's going to be gone. All that Pat Patterson um, juvenile humor is going to be gone. Yeah, it's funny because he's always tried to outlive the juvenileness of pro wrestling, but he's one of the major creators of that image. Yes, he created it. I mean, the the other promotions, and even his father's promotion, it was it was it was designed for non-college educated men. That was their audience. Non-college educated blue-collar men with blood and guts. That's who the audience was. Yeah. And Vince decides to, to have clowns throwing pies in Jeff Jarrett's face. Because everybody talks about how the ad revenue for pro wrestling is so paltry because they assume that the people who are watching it don't have any money uh, because they're they're low-class people. Yeah. Um and 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 he's probably drove it down in that image. I mean, because if you look at like the mid south stuff, that is correct. Stuff, I mean, the, and the, uh, Trish Stratus barking like a dog is not going to help with advertisers. Right. Yeah, I mean that 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 clip might have cost Linda a Senate job because both of her political opponents would play that clip in, in their ads. That was kind of hot, though, that clip, I thought. But uh, No. I know, I'm kidding. <laughs> you don't think that Blumenthal and, uh, who's the other senator, Chris, Christopher Hayes, you don't think they use that in, in their campaign? <laughs> I think they all did, and I think they should have. Now, Linda McMahon, I think she quit the Trump administration, right? She's no That's longer correct. in it. She's still like... personal friends with Donald Trump. They have been ever since he hosted WrestleMania 4 and 5 at Trump Plaza. Trump Plaza Hotel and Casino, WrestleMania 4. Remember, remember when Vince plugged those on old primetime wrestling? 
Trump hosted WrestleMania 4 and 5 at Trump Plaza Hotel and Casino, and they had Gorilla and Bobby do primetime wrestling for there, and Gorilla was at the blackjack tables, which I actually bet was a shoot. That's how the friendship developed. Wasn't their highest pay-per-view number with the one with Trump, right? Because the one they did later on yeah, with Trump. Yeah, yeah years, years later, when Trump came back as a TV character, as a heel, back then he was just sort of hosting the show and he would sit in the audience. But when he came back as a TV character, yeah, yeah that, that had the most buys of any WrestleMania at that point, yes. Because they were going to shave Trump's head. Because people are fascinated about Trump's hair. So that, right. I think it was but we place. knew that wasn't going to happen. It was the ultimate hair versus hair match. Yes, but we knew that Vince would lose his hair because he, as he owns the company, and he, Vince is famous in wrestling, but he's not famous worldwide. They knew Donald Trump was not going to get shaved bald. You know what I, I realized though about Vince is the reason why he wants to turn wrestling into a farce is because he can control it. When you have a promotion that's based on star power. Those stars can walk. Instead, you you make this carnival atmosphere where everybody's just a little monkey in your troop. Yeah, the stars can walk, but when they had the, the old NWA, all the promoters were like buddies with each other, and they would trade. And whenever somebody was was not over anymore or needed a break or wanted to, you know, or wanted to go somewhere because of family or whatever reason, uh, they would they would trade them around. And so when 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 somebody got burned out in one territory, they would just go to another. And then yeah. there was Sam Mushnick, who was the president of, of the NWA, and he didn't want to do a territory. He just did St. Louis, so he would bring in the stars from all around the world. And so Sam Mushnick's St. Louis Wrestling at the Chase, that was the best show in the country because he brought in all the best. And he also determined who the champion was. He did, whoever the NWA champion was, Sam Mushnick basically had the ultimate call. And that is the first part of my interview with Brent Kremen. The Stay tuned for the next part. We'll be on the next show. Thanks for listening.